racing cars, mystery, and adventure. These elements combine to give Frank and Joe Hardy one of the most dangerous and intriguing cases of their careers. It all starts when their father, Fenton Hardy, is engaged by an experimental race car and motor designer to investigate a series of mysterious accidents. Three of his drivers have crashed because the windshields of their cars were suddenly crazed, thus cutting off forward vision. Frank and Joe uncover one slim clue. Each of the drivers had seen a signpost marked DANGER shortly before his accident. The young detectives investigate only to discover that the signposts have vanished. What happened to them? And what sinister purpose do they serve? The attempted theft of a secret experimental motor and the kidnapping of a famous racehorse are part of this thrilling case, which proves to be as sinister as the signposts themselves. They meet the horse. Its name is Top Notch. And and Chet says, nice piece of horse flesh. Ew. <laughs> Gross, Chet. Like, Chet's like, I need a horse, no problem. Meat is meat. Horse flesh. Yeah. <laughs> you think this what is And that? everyone looked at Chet like he was a weirdo. Yeah. It's 2018 and everyone gets a podcast. Mine is the Hardy Boys Drink Book. Each week we sit down with creative and hilarious people to talk about a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. Then we have one of our favorite local bars mixes up a custom cocktail to go along with the book. Today I'm joined by actor Jose Zuniega, and Jack and I went down to Celtic on Market to talk about horse track racing and sip some delicious lucky whiskey. Investigate an experimental racetrack engine, also investigate a disappeared championship racehorse, and bully and harass a kid until he starts a life of crime in The Hardy Boys Drink Book number 15, The Sinister Signpost, with Jose Zuniega. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I am here with actor Jose Zuniega who uh, is a good friend of mine and my dungeon master in the Dungeons & Dragons game they play. Um, if you really like Dungeons & Dragons, there's about a, a thousand Dungeons & Dragons podcasts, so I should probably make one of those, right? Yeah. Jose, sure. would you yeah. would oh. you be dungeon master on a... Sure, sure. Why are there so many D&D podcasts right now, do you think? I think because it's a way for people to be um, creative. It's like creative light. You know, like the yeah. world is created, the universe exists. You just you plan have it. gods and and races and and handy answer books for um, monsters that, and they don't need any motivation. So it's 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 like a, it's like a it's like a character. It's like a universe creator in a video game where they've already oh, yeah. made they've the already rocks made everything, and, and you, you can just, just you can just pop the buildings and stuff. Yeah. So we are reading the Sinister Signpost. Uh, it is the fifteenth book in the Hardy Boys mystery series. The Hardy Boys mystery series were originally written in the 1920s by Franklin W. Dixon. Franklin W. Dixon is known uh, better for the open-faced toaster, um, just all coils all the way around. Yeah, and the Hardy Boys books were rewritten in the 1950s to make them a little more PC, a little less, I don't know, a little shorter. They cut about 100 pages from each of them. The boys are more respectful of authority, even though in this one... They're kind of all over the place. They are kind of all over the place in this one. They they, they um they're almost like schizophrenic. Like they're they go from like regular chummy um pals and then something really terrible happens and they're like, Oh, leaping lizards. Leaping lizards. Five and times. Five, five times. times. Yeah, I counted too. But then like as soon as the craziness passes, then they're just right back, back to Back to joking around, yeah. teasing on Gertrude. If they've had fifteen intense mysteries, if they're anything like this one, then th- I think they've got some serious PTSD going on. Absolutely. Uh, I think almost every single night one of them wakes up in the middle of the night going, Oh God, oh God, get him, get him <laughs> Right. Oh, and then it's the other one being like, Frank, Frank, wake up, you're fine. 
You're fine. <laughs> yeah. We're home. <laughs> yeah. Joe then, is like, calm down. The um, Well, let's first get into first impressions. What did you think of the Sinister Signpost? Had you read a Hardy Boys book before? No, I was a Hardy virgin. Uh, oh. And so I let the boys double team me. And, That's great. Uh, I hope they were gentle. I, they're not really gentle. No, they're but, not. Uh, they take you by storm. Yeah, they do. They they like to their judo throws and their ninjutsu. Mate. Yes, they're good at leveraging a man's weight against himself. They are, and there's a lot of gay subtext. I think I'll come right out and say it. Um, so I yeah, like that. I really liked that. Yeah. Um, but my my initial impressions, which I'm kind of, I think I've stuck with this after I read the book once, is that they're, I think they're. They're slightly impaired. I don't know how. Well, they've been hit in the head a yeah. lot of times. Yeah, and I think that they obviously come from a very rich family, yes. um, which they inherited this money. There's no way that a New York City detective in the 1920s was pulling down enough money to have a private plane and chauffeur, <laughs> chauffeur to go with Yeah, he's got something else going yeah, on. Yeah, they so they come from money. And I really feel like all of their mysteries are maybe just their parents paying people to like take the fall. I think that that might that might be true. I because uh, it's filled with like the stupidest it's like when your dad's or, yeah it's like it's like when when you have a parent or a grown up or somebody set up a scavenger hunt for you yeah yeah, it yeah or it's like teenage boy Santa Claus like <laughs> yeah. like, like they're detectives they're like oh they're detectives oh you cracked another case Hardy boys so my running fan theory is that Fenton Hardy is a criminal mastermind and is actually running a huge criminal enterprise. Oh. And that he basically uses his boys to uh, run interference on competing criminals or against the police and as like a cover for himself, you know, that he's like huh. a famous detective. Because even even in this book, Fenton is a, an important part of this book. He's around a lot. Yeah. But he also just like he, – he just like gets the boys to do stuff for him. Yeah. It disappears for long periods of time. Um yeah, I mean, I can see that, I think. And all the money. All the money. All the money. Where does it come from? So he's like the Moriarty. Of, right, exactly. Of, he's of, doing both sides of the equation. How meta would it be if he was like the arch-villain from the Nancy Drew books? Oh, and, yeah. And is is there an arch-villain? I don't think so. I've never read a Nancy Drew book, but I'm, I'm making narratives well, I've, in my I've read two, and... Uh, we're going to read a third one after this. Actually, our next episode is with Casey. Nice. And it's going to be our next Nancy Drew book. Uh, tune in for that, everybody. Um, yeah, Nancy Drew is sort of like the Hardy Boys. Every time I think that she gets an arch nemesis, they never appear again. Huh. Like these two crappy boys named Thad and like something else. I can't remember what their names were. But they – Thad and Cody – I think were their names. Okay. But they were like mean kids that went to school with the Hardy Boys that were always getting in trouble. And in one adventure, it was like their, they were in a rivalry. And I was like, oh, these guys should be regulars. The right. Hardy Boys need some foils. They never appeared again. They that was book eight. Now we're on 15. Man. They never showed up again. Man, no consistency. None at See, all. See, here I'm trying to come up with the movie franchise, right? I feel like the Hardy Boys could be the next... Big movie franchise. Just get Christopher Nolan in. He'll make it oh all Oh, my God. And then I really like the different – I've had a couple of different people who've been on the show talk about their movie version of it. And, like, I've heard Wes Anderson oh, as the person who should yeah. direct a, a okay. Hardy Boys movie. I'd be interested to see Tarantino's take on the Hardy right. Boys. That oh, brutal. Fun. Where characters are in the middle of, like, a shouting match and then their heads explode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, like, you know, the Hardy Boys get tied up and tortured. Yeah. Because they get tied up a they lot. They do get tied up a yeah. lot. In a previous one, I think it might have been just the last episode, that they were going to get burned with hot coals. Holy shit. And uh, while they were tied up, and I was like, oh my god, this is legitimate torture. 
All right, let's talk about this dumb book. I love this. They see a dragster. That's the way it starts. Right. right. And I was like, oh, dragsters, right drag racing. It's going to be awesome. Tons of like racing cars. I bet the boys get a, dra- a drag race car. No. But I love that the first thing is Frank being like, you can't drive a dragster on public roads. Not in this state. I, I like, know. You nerd. Wait, what state are they from, by the way? New York. New York. Bayport, okay. New York. They're Bayport, from upstate New York. New York. Is Bayport a real place or is it Hardyville? Is it? It is not a real place. It's not a real place. Um, yeah. And also, you can't draw a map of it because it has no consistent geography. Oh. <laughs> it's always like up north of the drugstore or whatever. Right, exactly. Nothing stays in the same place. I think it's funny, too, that like the very first thing in the book is like essentially like a road rage incident. Like like somebody's just driving down the street and then this jerk in this yeah. dragster is like, I'm just going to be a real ass and so, not let you buy. Yeah, they do the thing where they drive really slow and then when they try to pass them, they speed up and don't let them pass. And right. it's like a dragster so they can drive way faster than their car. And then when they get behind it, it slows down. But then what, do they get run off the road? So who, I, who's driving? Uh, Probably Frank. I think Frank is driving. He's the older brother. Yeah. And uh, he's he's driving and... He tries to pass, because the dragster's going, like, what, like, 10 miles an hour. It's, like, really slow. Yeah. And so he tries to pass him, and then the dragster speeds up, and, and so he, you know, pulls back behind him. But there's no other cars on the road. No. But anyway, so he, like, pulls back behind him, and then and then the dragster slams on his brake. You know, classic dick move. Yeah. Like, classic. Just being uh, a dick. dick move. So then Joe, uh, Frank tries to pass him again, and then the dragster tries to speed up, but Frank is, like... Well, I'm not going to let this dragster beat me. He's oh, like, they shout at him. Okay, he shouted at the other driver. You've had your fun. Now let us by. Right. I'm like, he can't hear you. Yeah, and it says, suddenly the driver maneuvered his vehicle in such a way that its left rear wheel slammed up against the right front wheel of the hardiest car. And this is like a classic thing I've noticed in this book is that they will take a relatively simple action and used five million words to explain that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not like he just hit the car with his back tire. No. Right? He, it's like, in, in a certain way in which his left rear wheel, because they want to make it very clear what happened, and also they've got space to fill, but they cut a hundred words. I they know. They cut a hundred pages. That's the thing that always trusts me. It's like, what the hell were the other hundred pages about? And I love, too, that this this happens a lot anytime they, they have a calamity. But so they, they hit a car. They, like, swivel violently, swerve violently. And Joe yells, we're out of control. Like, <laughs> like it's a very concise. It's not like, ah, or shit. We're out of it's control. Like, and you think Frank would be like, I know that. <laughs> I know. I'm driving. And, um, then, and just, you know, and then Joe goes on to say, I'd like to get my hands on that clown. Yeah, they're very impotent <laughs> threats. It sounds like like I'm gonna get him a I'm gonna find that guy and I'm gonna have a real talk with him about But they did get their car bashed up. Um and then they said we ready to replace the wheel and they gotta go get it fixed. And I think they're they've had cars that have been like literally blown up with bombs and then they've taken them to the repair shop and picked them up the next day. Man, that is service. <laughs> I know, but like Man. that repair shop makes so much freaking money off the Hardy Boys. I'm telling you, they're rich. They drive a convertible. They drive yeah. a convertible. And here's the other thing too. This was a little nitpicky detail, and when we get to the moment later down the line, okay. I'm going to point it out. But so, right, they, they, the fender gets messed up, and the wheel they need to put on the spare. And then the dragster drives back by on like a flatbed truck. So clearly, this guy was like 
specifically on the road to be an asshole. Like he, he like <laughs> he hired a flatbed out. to wait down the road. I, I'm just imagining him like driving down the road for hours, like waiting for a car to come up, like just pulling U turn. I'm gonna get him. And I'm then finally get... he's like, "Oh, here's a car. I'm gonna wreck them because I'm a psychopath." And then just load my and car then up. load my car up and drive past the people that I just bumped into. Yeah, it's extremely. Uh... It's it's ridiculous. It's and, awful. And uh, so they they're not too phased by it though. But they do say that, like everything happened so fast. I wasn't able to get the license number of the truck, and I was like, "Bad detective, are you kidding me?" Right? Like nothing was happening that fast when they drove by you on the flatbed. You were just standing by your car. Like you should have taken the moment. But I know, and that's I think what remember my thing. They're not really good detectives. No, I they're not like, really. Good detectives. I feel like all their other success is. Somebody wasn't in on the plan when this happened. So they go home from this, and Mrs. Hardy, a slim, graceful woman, greets them as they arrive. And she announces that their father wants to see you right away. So they race upstairs, and he's, like, just sitting very still at his desk, not, like, doing anything. Yeah. Waiting for them. He's studying a myriad of notes. Oh, yes, a myriad. I love that word, myriad. Yeah, they they have some great words in this one. Some good I like crazed. Crazed! We'll get get to that. Um, Yeah. Because at first I thought it was a typo, and then I was, and then it showed up so many more times. I was like, no, that's that's the yeah, one. Yeah, I actually I googled it, and yeah. the definition works. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm sure they're right. Yeah. But their dad's like, I just got a new case, and I want you to help me. I frequently think that the cases that he wants them to take are just them getting summer jobs. Multiple times he's like, I want you to get a job at this place <laughs> for the summer. Yeah, and investigate the criminals because there's a criminal working there, and just lay low, do the job. And then maybe you'll find a criminal. But usually they're only there two days before they're like, Dad, we quit that job. Literally two days. Literally yeah. two days. In this story, it's two days. Because found out what we needed to know and we quit. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> he just wants them to be employed. Like, yeah. He just wants to get him out of the house. But he tells them that the Alden Automotive Research and Development Company, which is owned by Mr. Alden, Keith Alden, who is, he's like a famous racing driver. Frank has some sort of photographic memory where he'll remember things that he read, but not until he's like been <laughs> nudged a couple times. Because they talk about Mr. Alden for a couple of sentences. And then he's like, isn't Keith Alden the president of the company? I remember. And they're like, yeah, it's Alden. Automotive. And this guy, I remember reading about him in the newspapers. He was once a famous racing driver. And Hardy's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Like, I forgot until you said his name a bunch of times. <laughs> You're like... Geez, son, you have an excellent memory for exposition. Yeah. So apparently, Mr. Alden has a an experimental engine for his high-speed racing cars that he's building at this factory. And he thinks somebody's trying to steal or trying to – well, he thinks people are trying to steal his secrets. But also, multiple test cars have been destroyed, like right. in explosions. Or they've been run off the road or whatever. They've right. been destroyed. Spoiler, the bad guys in this are incredibly stupid. Yeah, they're, the, they're really yeah, dumb bad guys. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll go forward. That's a classic. That's pretty much a standard. That's a classic Hardy Boys. If, I think that if ever there's a smart bad guy, I will add smart bad guy to the bingo list. <laughs> to the bingo and then, list? And then no one will ever get <laughs> that's it. That's right. Again. No one will ever win. Um, but yeah, the windshields of the cars were suddenly crazed as they were driving. Which apparently means to what? Shatter... Into yeah, like, like a million different... yeah, shatter. I don't know. I, we can Google it. I, but I, I remember looking it up, and, and I was like, oh, that makes sense. And 
it's funny too when I first read it I had been watching I had been on a big uh, Rick and Morty kick okay so I was like picturing these people driving along and then all of a sudden the windshield like grows a Rick and Morty style animation face and is like Bah-ah! right yeah <laughs> like, it, it becomes crazy it becomes crazed like yeah the windshield, the windshield has a mind of its own you. which is the worst part of a car to make crazed I guess but it, the way that this works it means that the driver couldn't see and then they went out of control and crashed, which I'm like, wouldn't you just take your foot off the accelerator if you suddenly, like, the windshield went milky white with... Well, I mean, it's presumed that they would slam on the brakes, but I, the kind of way that I saw it was, like, it's a turbine motor, right? Like, right, he's yeah. making it. This is, like, he's, like, slapping a jet engine. Onto a car. Yeah, onto a car. And so I feel like they probably did hit the brakes, but, you know, you got some, you got some serious physics going on in there. Well... Fenton tells the boys that he wants them to go undercover with a jo- uh, have a job at the plant surprise. and go undercover. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, and that they should work there. And he's like, how can we do this job without arousing suspicion? And Joe says, I have an idea. Bayport High introduced a basic automotive engineering course last term. Suppose we say we want to work at the plant to get some practical experience. Okay, but unless Mr. Alden is in on it, which apparently he is, a no- normal person would be like, uh, sorry kids, no... You can't just come intern at the automotive factory because you took a class. Yeah, then the, again, it's like the 20s through 50s. So I mean, I feel like practical jobs were a big deal. I also feel like, is this a real thing? Do they have to like get clearance from that? Like, are they going to say they're going to do this? And then like six months later, some high school counselor is like, uh, boys, I need your practicum hours. Like, yeah. can oh, you we never signed? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, we uh... quit that job. Oh, it's actually really interesting. There was a mystery. You might have read about it in the paper. And they're like, I don't care I don't about care. that. You were supposed to have a job. Slackers, um, nothing but slackers. Not that they'll have to worry about money. I mean, they're so stinking rich. They are so stinking rich. One of the things that apparently were changed uh, for the uh, is that for these like rewrites of the book is that the boys didn't used to have so much money, right? And now they were given money because like really, yeah, like large portions of of I think what was cut was them like struggling to come up with the resources to solve things. Man. And now they just they just write checks and cash them. Then again, in their very first adventure, they found a treasure. Oh, so I feel like that treasures. But then they said they were going to put that tre- all the money from the treasure in their college fund. Well, they're not in college yet. Apparently, they're no, burn- they they're are burning it on detective kits in the summer before college that never ends. And, uh, um, that's right, because summer vacation just started. It says it right out. Right, but they're still seventeen and eighteen, and they were seventeen or eighteen last summer. So. It's a Venture Brothers thing yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, well, while they're talking, though, normal sort of thing that happens when you're talking to your dad, um, a rifle fires – someone with a rifle fires a smoke grenade into the office with a note that says basically drop this case, which then you're not going to drop the case. Yeah. So, it's, it's described as a rifle grenade specifically. Yeah. It's a, you fire it from a rifle. Right. And then I guess it's at the end of it is a grenade. Which you think most of the time it would just go off when you pulled the trigger. And and here's the other thing, dude. This is another line that stuck out to me. Like, they're like, the Hardys held their breaths and groped their way through the choking smoke. There was no sign of fire, which is always a good thing when there's lots yeah. of smoke. But then it says Frank, Joe, and their father soaked handkerchiefs with water. And I'm like... Is there like a cistern like next to his desk in his office where they're just soaking these handkerchiefs? It's just like this weird throwaway line. Like they're like, oh, Is there a let me soak my handkerchief. Because then right afterward, they, they the smoke clears. They open the windows and the smoke clears. And yeah. and, and there's no re- – the, the, 
it's like bad mime. Like the handkerchiefs just vanish into the universe. You know, yeah. a good mime when he puts a cup down will remember. Remember the cup where is the there. cup is there? Yeah, but, that handkerchief you know, would have gone in the pocket. Would have come out later right. and been dabbed yeah, on the lips it and put shown back up in the again. Pocket. Not yeah. in this. No, nope. nope. the handkerchief disappears. And then Aunt Gertrude says we should call the police. And then Mr. Hardy's like, no need to get excited. Somebody <laughs> fired a bomb in your house. Yeah, right? And then later he's like, I'm going to go call the police. As if it was his idea. And I'm like, you're an asshole. Like, <laughs> Well, everybody's mean to Aunt Everybody's Gertrude. mean to Aunt Gertrude. Aunt Gertrude and Chet, I feel like, yeah, they are so screwed. They, they are. They are so screwed. Unmarried. I drew an arrow to that. Hardy, Mr. Hardy's sister, unmarried. Unmarried. Had yeah. a peppery temperament. <laughs> she was it. always quick to express her opinions openly. Oof. And often made dire predictions about the horrible fate awaiting all detectives. I mean, she's not expressing her opinions openly. Openly, how dare she? No wonder she's a spinster. Yeah, no wonder she's unmarried. I mean, obviously. But uh, yeah, so we get our first leaping lizards. Um, They're told, "Drop the Alden case, or the next smoke will be lethal." Which I'm like, wait, if you had like mustard gas or whatever, and why didn't she just do that first? Yeah, Um, once again to the to the criminals being stupid. Yeah. I mean, why didn't you just set the house on fire? I, you don't have to kill him. I, I get that yeah. you don't, you know, like, okay, if I murder somebody, there's going to be a bunch of cops. All but, over. like, that warning note could have been, like, on their windshield when they went out to the car the next morning. That's true. It is a lot of effort. Yeah, and it leaves a lot of clues That's to true. fire. Because they rifle, find a rifle They find cartridge. the rifle cartridge, rifle and they're cartridge like, this will be important later. And I'm like, I bet it will. And, uh, yeah, it's so crazy. I, I don't know. I would have just burned their house down. <laughs> yeah. Because they're not going to be doing a lot of detecting if you burn their house down. If you down. burn their house down. They're right. going to be dealing with the fallout, even if they get out of the house. Like, they're like, I'm sorry, we can't right. take any cases right, right now. And they got to talk to... We have to deal with insurance agents. That's right. Today. they got to talk to Flo and get everything right. squared away. Except, does Fenton have his house insured in a normal way? I don't know. I don't know. Anybody named Fenton, Fenton seems like they have their shit put together to yeah. me. Yeah, I feel like they would right. have. They, like, they're like the kid with the pocket protector in third grade, I feel like. Yeah, I, well, at one point he chased a homeless guy across a train and then threw him off. Oh. And, I mean, a kid with a pocket protector wouldn't do that. I guess that's true. Yeah. Until he, like, grows up and gets buff. Gets I don't know. Buff. He's like yeah, the no-nonsense right. kid, you know? Yeah, you're he's right. He's not, like, the one you bully. He's, like, the one who's got, like... Yeah, who's intense, together, and they're like, that kid's right? going to He's class president, but he's not he's popular. he's going to have a list. Yeah, yeah you're right. But yeah. they're like, but he's effective, so we keep electing him. That's right. Um, that's great. Also, he's got something on everybody, I bet. Yeah, he's a, he is a master. He's He is Sherlock Holmes. Why, why does Chet go with them to their job? Right before the smoke bomb goes off, uh, Fenton tells the boys, well, if you're going to meet Mr. Alden, he's having a, a, a drag racing, stock car racing mm. thing at his uh, plant today. So That's do you right. want to come meet him? And they're like, man, do I? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'd want to go to that too. Man, I was so hoping that this whole – I really wanted this whole book to be about car racing. Nope. But – no. no, not allowed. Only um, like the first 20 and the last 20 pages. They talk about – so Chet comes with him to the stock car competition. He's like, I was thinking – he's like, there's an old car in my father's barn I was thinking about fixing up. And I was like, you have a car. It's called the Queen and it's awesome. He has this yellow, like, sweet, uh, like, coupe car that everybody used to cruise around in. And now they just don't talk about it anymore. But is, <coughs> is he normally an inventor? I feel like he's he's he started, inventor. He started to get into that. He used to have interests in every single one where he'd be like, I'm really into – like metal detectors or algology, where he was into water. What he was into water-based. Yeah, it's water-based plant life, oh. and learning about all the different plants in the water that you can eat. 
he's a ADHD before they had a name for right, it. Right, where he has it every time they come on, you're like, what is your thing you're interested in right now? He's like, I'm super into clouds. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, he never talks about clouds ever I'm again. I'm going to fix up this car in the in, garage. In one, like, last episode, maybe two episodes ago, he made a, a hang glider and he flew it. What? Yeah, it was like a pontoon. He pulled it behind a speedboat and it would lift you up into the air to fly. And then he, like, flew airborne for, like, a solid mile and crashed into a barn. And made oh. the second page of the newspaper. Oh, the um, second page. page yeah, I couldn't make, couldn't make First is for the Hardy Boys, always. And they tell Chet that if he starts souping up a car, he's going to end up with a diner on wheels, which I'm like, F you. But also, <laughs> like, uh, food trucks are, like, really popular yeah. now. So Chet would have just been ahead of the curve. I'm, poor Chet is, like, a walking fat joke. He like, is. <laughs> and it gets worse and worse. Okay, so they when they're at this stock show, they, they meet um, a kid who looks just like Jughead, who is named Roger. And Roger is the jerk son of. Wait, wasn't he the? Yeah. Oh, they see he's, the dragster he's, that he's ran the road rage. Off. Yeah, it's the dragster that, that ran. And they walk them. up to him and they're like, "Is this your car?" And he's like, "What of it?" And, <laughs> and then they're like, "Look at the wheel. It's been damaged." He's like, "Get away from my car!" And like yells at them. So and then he puts him in an arm lock. Like he he, he oh, like just grabs. He? Yeah, he like like after he figures it out, like. Why don't you he guys take a walk? He shoves Joe, and then, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you guys take a walk? Get away from that wheel, you know? And then, and then he then, says, like, your friend looks like he could use the exercise. Because <laughs> he's a walking fat joke. Yeah, he's and you're like, oh, who do you think you're talking to? Chet snapped, and he's like, he doesn't know he's talking to. Chet, he's never met you. That's right. Um, so he shoves Joe, and then Joe, like, hops up on his feet, rushes at him, and then pins his opponent's arm behind his back. In a jujitsu ju- move. Jujitsu. Is jujitsu a thing? Is Is it? Is it ninjutsu? I don't know. I don't know I don't if jujitsu is a thing, but uh, our our producer Jack is going to look that up for us and, and check back <laughs> in with us. But Mr. Alden, they show up. Both the dads show up, Fenton and Mr. Alden, and they're like, "What are you boys doing?" They're like, "Nothing." Turns out that Roger the D bag is Alden's son. Yes. So I have, I have some feelings about Roger. I feel like Roger is one of those kids. He already was like a little bit of a of a sour grape. And obviously he was like his road rage thing doesn't bode well for him. Yeah. But I feel like they kind of push him into being a bad guy. Like they they antagonize him constantly and they never ever try to talk to him in a way that's like Look, man, everybody has bad days. Like, let's just start from scratch. Every time they meet him, they're like, hey, jerk face. Oh, yeah. And he's like, you guys again. Damn it. Yeah. And also, every time they're around, he gets in real bad trouble with his dad. Yeah. Well, the real bad trouble is about to happen to him because... Oh, yeah, it's his... His, his dad is like... The Hardy Boys are like, your son crashed into our car in his dragster. And his son is like, no. And I think any reasonable parent would be like, well... What's going on here? But no, Mr. Alden's like, well, I don't think the Hardy Boys would lie. To his own son! I'm like, Dad! I'm like, come on, no wonder Roger's, like, acting out. Filled with rage, so, yeah. So he forbids Roger from, from racing in any of the races. And then, like, Roger immediately goes and climbs in a car and, and races around the track. Like, because of how humiliated he just was by his dad in front of a bunch of his peers that he's like, I'm going to prove them wrong. He's clearly got anger issues <laughs> and his dad just shoves him into it. Well, it's, I mean, there's no mention of Roger's mom. No, 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 no. I got it here at the oh, bottom right, of page 15. Right, right, right. I don't know what to do about my son, Alton said with remorse. His mother died several years ago, yeah, yeah. and I haven't been able to spend much time with him. He's getting more difficult to live with every day. He's a real D-bag. No, he doesn't say <laughs> yeah, that last thing. Um, but I just, like, I just thought that was – he was like, I don't know what to do about my son. 
He's a real D-bag. Which you know this is... I mean, this is one of those weird things. I'm like, is it really the 50s? I feel like Mr. Alden would have just gotten remarried, but... Right. No, he's a famous race car driver. He's a famous race car driver. He's rich. Yeah. He owns a manufacturing plant. And he owns... And he's doing an experimental motor. Yeah, he's got a lot going I mean, on. He's he's at well, and he owns other. Rich, but like rich Elon, even too. Elon Musk married or is dating that girl who changed her name to a lowercase italicized C. Are you serious? She legally changed her name to the lowercase italicized C because it's the notation for light for how, the speed that light travels in a vacuum. Oh, you are effing kidding! Me. No, and she's like, this will be much better. This will so be my name now. She's a so model. Stupid. She's a model. Who's, she's a model, and she yeah. talks about the speed of light. Yeah, because she's dating Elon Musk. Now I'm not gonna. I, I know several models who are very, very smart people. Right, so yeah, you I'm don't sure, want to denigrate models. I'm sure she models. knows what the speed of light is. Sure. Um, but um, There's clearly the... she's stupid because... <laughs> she did that. She did that. Like, yeah. it's not that she, you know, speed of light and a model aren't compatible. That's totally fine. Somebody who, who changes their name to, to Constant... Constant. Constant. Is that... Her name is Constant. Constant. No, her name is the lowercase letter C italicized. Yeah. I, this is one of those people I pray the universe never brings across my path. Yep. Let's see. Oh, yeah. They're like, the first ro- driver is Roger Alden. And they're like, oh, Roger's what? in a car? How did he get his hands on a car? Okay. So in the next chapter, um, everyone's telling him, like, stop that car. Flag the car down before he starts off. And Joe's like, I'll signal him with my mirror when he comes along the straightaway. One, why does Joe have a mirror? It's in his detective kit. He does carry he, a detective he, kit that has a mirror the, and little plastic baggies and strips of paper that he can leave as a trail. He's used all kinds of things out of that detective yeah. kit. I want to see how big it is. Uh, I bet it's like old school game, game Boy yeah. size, but yeah. in his breast pocket. Yeah. yeah, probably big. Like, he's always got this weird lump on his chest. <laughs> I feel like it's the George Casanza wallet, like, yeah, on his on his pack. body. It's, like, yeah. huge. You just um, stare at it. But when Joe said, I'm going to use my mirror to signal him, I'm like, that's going to blind him and he'll crash. That yeah. was the first thing I thought. He's like, that's going to, he's going to see that and he's driving a race car and he's going to crash. And then that's what happens. That is what, but, but it's before he signals him. With the it is it? Yeah. So he, it says the boys hurried down the straightway, straightaway. And oh. then as Roger came on the second turn, he spun out of control. So he's, he's coming down the track. Oh, okay, because later he's like, are you all right? And when he pulls him out, he's like, and Roger's like, I guess so. And he glares at the heart. He says, you guys are the cause of this. You reflected sunlight into my eyes with that mirror of yours. And so I, that gave me the impression that Joe actually, that he actually did that. Did it. He like and so I wrote, you, you totally did that. Totally and, he's, did and Joe's that. like, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm like, I see. That's a, yeah, I guess I just, one of those things they probably removed a critical section. Right, a they critical like, We don't need this section where Joe almost kills almost a Almost kills a guy. But it's the fact that Joe refuses to take responsibility for the accident. When he's like, no, you're right. That was dumb. I shouldn't have blinded you as a way of signaling you to stop. <laughs> and then there's like the person who owns the race car runs up and is all devastated. And the guy is like, well, serves you right. But I'll pay for the damage anyway. Yeah, serves you right for letting my kid steal your car. Um, <laughs> now all I have is a pile of junk. And then they decide to keep racing. His yeah, son oh, yeah. gets in a serious car accident. Like it says that there's a geyser of dust like erupts from and, the sideline. And line. he gets put into an ambulance and taken, and to, the taken to the hospital. And he's like, well, continue the festivities. No wonder Roger has issues. With like, his dad. <laughs> go to the hospital go with to your the son. Hospital with your son. And talk to him about how like you know like how everything's gonna be okay and like they're gonna spend some time together. It was a different time. No, he's like, I don't know. That kid's messed up. Anyway, on with the race. 
Then then there's a brief section where Aunt Gertrude gets to show up and, and be mean to her. Oh, yeah, that's right. Chet. She, just, she, like, flits in and out of the story. And to just be just mean. a bitch. Yep. And, everybody. Uh, is a huge buzzkill. And then she's gone. They drop off Chet. They go home. Yeah, and Aunt Gertrude, racing of any kind is just dreadful. It should be outlawed. And I love the idea of outlawing any type of race. I wanted to be, like, like a... Like a presidential race, or <laughs> yeah. like a, like a foot race, or yeah. like no Olympic, no racing at the Olympics, no racing no at the Olympics, no swimming. It's distasteful. It's when total. properly organized, it's a fine sport. I call it utter nonsense. Yeah, she's crazy. She is crazy. Um, I don't know what she's on. I, Laura, Laura is clearly on some sort of tranquilizer. Oh, but I but I don't know I don't know if it's amphetamines or what that Gertrude's on that she's so high strung all the time. I, it's, I feel like it's because Laura's hoarding the Valium. Yeah, you're probably right. She won't probably, share. She won't share the stash. No, know? she's she like, this is my house. She's got to get into the back alley. She doesn't want to share with Also, Gertrude, Gertrude says things like, not in my house. And I, I always want to be like, yes, but this is not your house. No, it's Fenton's house. It's Fenton's house. It's and Fenton's. you live here. And you were a recent addition. So they, they get a call from Iola Morton, Chet's little sister, and Joe's favorite date. Joe's favorite date. Yeah, not his only date. His favorite. Mm, that would probably have to be March 23rd. Yeah. Is it March 23rd? Favorite date. <laughs> and they go out and Chet's like... Sitting on the steps of his house, and he's all covered with black and soot, and he's clearly been in an explosion. And he's yelling that he doesn't need a doctor. And I imagine he's yelling a little like a deaf person yeah. that like can't, who's got real loud ringing in his ears. It's the funny thing about it to me too is that the way this whole exchange starts is that I, Iola calls him on the telephone, and her exact words are, "Chet won't be able to see you later. He's had an accident." <laughs> That she doesn't leave with the accident. She's like, "Well, we're gonna have to cancel your plans." Uh, why? Oh, because because he's had a horrible accident. Goodbye. Um, yeah, but he experimented. He put highly volatile fuel in the engine of the old car that they keep in the barn, and he was pouring some into the carburetor when it blew up. Yeah. <laughs> so because the racing bug has bit him. Yeah, and they're all like, "Never ever race cars, Chet. Better call off your experiments." Yeah. And, Mr. and Frank's Mo- like, oh, well, I knew something like this would happen. Yeah, they're jerks to him about it. They're not like, cool. And then he's like, I'm going to drop that race car project in favor of another idea. A rocket-propelled bicycle. And they shake their heads in despair and return home. And then they go home. Yeah, like, what kind of hangout with your friend is that? Like, what kind of friends are they with? Like, he gets blown up. They rush over. They're like, are you okay? And then he's like, yeah, it was awesome. And I'm going to make a bicycle. And they're not like, okay, well, do you want to go swimming? Or do you want to go fishing? Or, <laughs> nope, they're just like, do you want to go see a movie? Idiot. They're like, dumbass. <laughs> and then they go home. In the, first, in the first couple of books, Chet was the only one with a car. So it sort of made sense why he was always involved in the adventures. But now they have a convertible. Well, in the Hardys, they seem like they use people. Also. They definitely Because they have two people. friends later that they totally take advantage of Oh, yeah. Of as well. they, uh, they also have a lot of friends that show up and they make friends with somebody, use them for everything they have, and then never mention that person again. And you realize that they're like, oh. Well, like, and Chet's got a little sister that Joe is dating. So there's like a reason to keep Chet around. You're right. like, well, gotta stay cool with Chet because of Iola. Right. I feel bad for Chet. I mean, he's yes, like, everybody does. He's the best. It's obvious that everybody in the universe, at least in the Hardy Boys universe, loves the Hardy Boys. And, and Chet adores them, I think, in a good-natured sort of mm-hmm. way. And I, I really do feel like Chet thinks that the Hardy Boys view him on somewhat of their same level. But it's really obvious from the way that they treat him that they don't. Because 
not only, like I said, he's a walking fat joke. Like every, yeah. they might as well follow him around with the tuba and, and make noises, <laughs> because like every time he goes to do something, it's just like, wah wah. You need exercise, bro. You're gonna eat the whole pie. I'm not gonna bring a pie to you. There won't be a crumb left for me. That's not in the book, but I no, feel but like it's it definitely fit. could be. It'd be fun. Yeah. yeah, and and so you know, it's bad enough when he gets it from. D-Bag Roger. Yeah, you know, but from his up. friends. But his friends did it to him like two seconds before. Okay, so Chad explodes. They go to their first day of work, and they learn all about the the factory and the new... And the, the experimental the, valve. The Exeter valve. Yeah. And let's see. Which this this part was interesting to me because okay. we get into, once again, one of the examples of how the Hardy Boys villains are just the dumbest idiots on the planet. Because Mr. Alden gets a phone call from, like, the company who manufactures his valves in California. And they're like, somebody had the exact same designs of your valve. And they're mm-hmm. like, can you describe him? And here he is. This is yes. He was tall, wore black-rimmed glasses, and had a beard and mustache that looked phony. Obviously a disguise, Mr. Hardy commented. <laughs> and I really expected Mr. Alden to be like, yeah, I just said that. It looked phony. <laughs> it looked phony. You don't, yeah, great detective work, Fenton. The guy's wearing Groucho glasses. I know. I, and I feel like he was probably twirling his mustache when he was in the meeting. He was probably like, I've got this valve to sell you. You know, like, what kind of criminal does that? And then Joe is like leaping lizards. Number two. Number two. Maybe the stranger has the plans to your whole motor. We doubt that, Mr. Hardy said. Just shh, Joe, shh. No, we're doing this. I think it's a reasonable assumption. Yeah, yeah, like, well, if he has parts of it, he might have the whole thing. But he can't because the, the plans are on different film slides. And all the engineers only get to see the film slide for the part that they're working on. I wrote a lot of question marks about this. It's placed in a burglar-proof projector. Yes. I'm like, why don't you put the parts in a burglar-proof projector? <laughs> well, also, what is a burglar-proof projector? Does it have, like, a trap that, like, chops your hand off if you try to take the slide out? Right, like, I've seen a lot of projectors, and I can't think of a way I would modify it that it would be burglar-proof. Right. But that I could still get slides into it. Right, yeah. I, it's just, it, and it just, there's no other explanation. It's like, well, they're in a burglar-proof projector, so clearly... <laughs> He Clearly they can't get those. He's like, Does, is there anybody here who would, like, have a uh, a problem with you? And he's like, absolutely not. Not at all. They're like, well, think for just one second. He's like, well, you know. Actually, now that I think for one second, <laughs> yeah, uh, I did. I have a problem with an employee, and that was several months ago. His name was Vilno Sigur. And as soon as I read this, I actually, I have it highlighted. I was like, foreigner. Yeah. Bad, Bad guy. guy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You nailed it. You understand how these books work. Like, his name is Vilno, and he, he Vilno came to his office and accused him of picking his brains, and I told him that's what I was paying him for, and I reminded him of the generous bonuses he received for his ideas, but he wanted more. He demanded a partnership, and when I refused, he became furious and left, and I haven't seen him since. Which means he hasn't gotten his severance. So Vilno quits, and he's like, but now take his twin brother, Barto. He's Bar- a perfect employee. <laughs> Right. He's, he's, he's a sheet metal worker. He's still employed in my research department as a sheet metal worker. An excellent craftsman. His job is to fabricate the bodies of our race cars. And they're like a, a twin brother, but that's a lead. Barto could be in cahoots with Vilno. And he's like, ah, no. No. Vilno he, was an engineer. Barto, Barto is a sheet, sheet metal worker. That completely different 
fields and you no shared skill sets at yeah, all. There's no way that one of them could do the other one's job. Even though one of the jobs sounds way easier than the other job. <laughs> That's right. You're like, but Vilno, as an engineer, like a structural engineer who makes all these crazy midges, can't do sheet metal work? And they're like, no, that's Barto. Barto is Barto. the one that does the sheet metal. So when I was reading this, I went to a restaurant by myself because I'm that kind of guy. Yeah. And I had a lot of cocktails and, and read through it. And um, Barto, I was like, what? Barto. And so every time I read his name, I picture El Barto from The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, what I <laughs> the person. And then Vilno just looks like Bart, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, tangent. So then they they decide we're going to just follow Barto because like even though Mr. Alden and even though Barto is really nice to them and is like, if you have any questions, if you want to know anything, just talk to me. Right. I'm your guy. Right. And they're like, we're going to we're going to follow this guy and break into his house. And it, he says that he's a sheet metal worker and he makes the bodies for the cars. But then when they follow him, he works in the research lab. Yeah, he works. Yeah. They said he was still employed as a sheet metal worker in the <laughs> research department. Yeah. So I don't know what the deal is. I don't know. Mr. Alden, not so bright. And here we come at the beginning of the next chapter, Fingerprint Hunt. Oh, yeah. We come to, I think, the most incredulous line that I read. The one that just made me want to, like, throw the book across the room. After a delicious meal in the company's cafeteria. Yeah, what? (laughs) What kind of parallel universe is this? Where you go have a delicious meal at the auto plant cafeteria. (laughs) I mean, I'm just picturing the like a line with the trays and you know all the people with their coveralls, dirty coveralls on, and the sounds of machinery in the background, and then like some pristine looking kitchen, and this chef is like, "We've made a nice salad for you, and we're going to follow with a three course tasting. The salmon is particularly delicious, delicious meal." <laughs> I really like that when they decide, um, the boys decide that they're going to go to the Alden plant the next morning, which is good because they have jobs. And they've been supplied with a microfilm report of all the employees' records. That's oh, that, that's what, what Mr. Hardy, Hardy is doing. And he says, I'm going to remain – yeah, he's like – he's going to remain at home and check the information against his files on criminals. And I put, and drink. Because right. I think he's just going to drink all day yep. while the boys chase around Barto. That's what I would do. Um, so they're like, just – they're like, well, let's just get Barto's fingerprints and then test them and see if maybe he's really Vilno. And they're like, oh, he always keeps his gloves on. Yes. Um, doesn't ever take his gloves like off. Always wears it. It's like a Dexter's laboratory yeah. thing going on. He's always got the gloves on. And then they're like, Which, maybe. Imagine how sweaty. And these um, are these are reusable gloves. It's yeah. not like latex gloves. No, no, no. They're they're, they're rubber gloves. Man, he's got to look like he's held his hand in swamp water for like five hours when he takes them off. Also, he does this thing where he like eats his sandwich, which is wrapped in wax paper. And then he puts his gloves back on, and then he takes the wax paper to the incinerator all the way on the other side of, like, the 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 building and throws it in the, the incinerator and then returns to the shop. And they're like, oh, well, we can't get fingerprints off that wax paper. I know. I was like, this is, like, the most suspicious thing I think I've ever seen in my like, life. Yeah, if I, if I went at work and took, like, all of my garbage from lunch and then found, like, an incinerator or, like, a garbage can on the other end of the of the park – and like dumped him in there. Yeah, if you walk half people, a mile, to, people would be like to burn your wax paper. Why did he do that? <laughs> oh, Barto, you know, you know those foreigners. But they chase him home. They don't really learn anything, right? Well, they no, go they to don't. His apartment. Yeah, and then they come up with this plan to basically have Hank trespass in this secured building and like hang out and wait for Barto to come home and then lift prints off 
prints off the doorknob, which I'm like, there's no way that in a court of law. They, like, maybe we can get, Joe's like, maybe we can get into his apartment. They're like, well, we need a warrant for that. But we can break into his building and get <laughs> fingerprints off of his doorknob. I'm like, you should get a warrant for that, that's, too. That's Just to be safe. That, there's no like, way that would get admitted. No, they'd be like. I think they'd be like, well, you're suspended if you if they worked for a police force. And then they follow, like, the maid, Frank does, while Joe's hiding out. And they dig, uh, they dig around in her garbage on her cart after she's been in his apartment. And they steal his trash. And I'm like, you guys are creeps. They do steal his trash. I, like, it's very, um private eye like yeah. is my husband cheating right like what's in the trash look at dig through the garbage a good thing they didn't find any they condoms. do get a fingerprint from the door they do i think they find out that it's bardo's fingerprint right it is bardo's fingerprint apparently his fingerprints are on file chief uh chief colic it's like no i have bardo. everybody's fingerprints in town on file they also uh have... like, he doesn't have a criminal record you said that how did you get his fingerprints <laughs> right. on file they have a sticky celluloid that they it must be part of the part detective, of the detective, detective kit. kit. And then they have a lab at home that has ultraviolet lights. In yes, it. they have a crime lab. They have a crime. They lab. used to have a crime barn in the original books, oh. but now they're less rural, so they have a crime lab can't, over their can't garage. Have a crime barn. Well, contamination is a real thing. Yeah, if you're doing your your crime research next to the they browser. don't care about that. I want to read the letter that they steal from. Yeah. Uh, well, they they steal the the piece of paper that was directly underneath. The uh, the letter. Right. And so they, like, do the – run the pencil over it and show – expose what the letters are. It's a bizarre letter that immediately you're like, this is – This is code. This is code. This is code. Um, I'm just going to read it real quick. June 2nd. Dear Eric, forgive me for taking so long to write you. I have been so exhausted from work the last few days that I didn't feel like I could write a coherent sentence. How I wish I had the stamina of two hardworking boys who have taken summer jobs at the plant. Any family would be proud to have sons like that. As I already told you, my brother has left the Alden Company. It came as a surprise to me, because I did not detect anything in his behavior to lead me to believe he was dissatisfied with his job. I hope he manages to survive his own idiosyncrasies. His reasons for leaving were extremely unreasonable, and I hope he eventually sees the error of his ways. Because of my brother, I feel a bit, uh, I feel a bit embarrassed about continuing to work there. I'm sure they're expecting me to leave also. I must admit, I've been investigating other possible jobs. But now I realize it would be foolish of me to quit. Hope that luck will not continue to evade us. I am your friend, Barto. And I'm like, why would he mention the two boys that started there? <laughs> that's like, if he is innocent... That's weird that he's like, there's these two strapping young high school boys came in today. Hard workers. Any dad would be proud to have boys like that around. I know. I was like, I, I've read gay fiction for yeah. for free on Kindle that has started with a very similar sentence. Sentence of like the two hardworking boys that started that working started here this working summer. started working at the auto plant. They need someone to show them the way. Yeah, and I told them, like, if you ever need any metal-shaped... You come to old Barto. Barto. The other thing too is, is that this I think shows the ego of the Hardy Boys completely because they read this letter and they're like, "He must," and they're like, "Check hey, out, we got a throw out." You know, like that we got we got a name drop. Like we're the strapping young lads working at the plant, and that did not raise any red flags for them at all. No, they're like, "Okay, well, I guess he's innocent." That's he the, thought we were cool. <laughs> he thought we were cool. Everybody thinks we're cool. So there you have it. And then they decide that, like, well. We may as well give up our undercover work at the plant. Nothing more we can do there. And I'm like, you haven't learned anything. You haven't found anything else. So they quit. So they just quit their jobs. Yep. um, And decided to go investigate the accidents when the windows became crazed. 
They meet the drivers. Oh yeah, Jim Jim Marcus and Speed Johnson. <laughs> what? You got a limited what kind career of porn path. Star names that Hi, Speed I'm Speed Johnson. I'm Speed Johnson. Like, can you imagine if like if a guy ran for mayor and his name was Speed Johnson? Yeah. Like, it, yeah, it would just I, be like, I, I'm Mayor Speed Johnson. I like, you should be a race car driver. Yeah, right? Uh, it's either that or he's got a sling speed. It's got to be one of yeah, the Yeah, one of the other two. Oh, yeah. They're terrible names. They're lazy names. They are so lazy. Speed Johnson. It's like he just pulled a last name out of the phone book and, and Speed in front of Johnston, him. Johnston, yeah. I guess. And um, they they learned from the drivers that right around, right when they were racing and before their windshields went crazy... And started to, I don't know, attack them. Or yeah. Uh, started uh, trying to leave the front of the car or whatever a crazed windshield does. Um, they saw a sign marked danger. And which, which put, right before a sharp turn. Yeah. It said danger. Yeah. And so the boys go to check out where the, uh, they, they like draw on a map where those signs should have been. And they go and look and they don't find the signs, but they find like little areas where clearly a sign has been posted and then the hole has been covered up like right. quickly. But that's all. That's all they find. And then they go home, and the second plot of the book <laughs> starts. That's right. So what they find out that they get home, and Aunt Gertrude is in a, is in a fugue state. Um, she is inconsolable. Yeah, That's and crazy. because she has just inherited a large amount of land that I'm like, That's great. <laughs> that is great news. And it's a, it's a stable and paddock that is used for retired championship racehorses. Retired. The keyword being retired. So I'm like, that's perfect for you. You don't want them to be racing anymore. You've got to be so happy they're not. And she's like, I hate racehorses. You've inherited a stable of racehorses. A stable of retired racehorses, you mean? She exclaimed. They are the worst kind. They've already fleeced the public. Mrs. Hardy smiled. I think it's wonderful, she commented. You might get to like horses. They may seem to grow on you in time. Laura, how could you say such a thing? Aunt Gertrude rebuked her. She slumped back in her chair. And to think that this was wished on me by an old friend I forgot even existed. She apparently has no heirs. And then they, they find out that it's in Baltimore. You you inherited a huge plot of land and a bunch of racehorses from a friend that you forgot existed? Well, clearly they haven't had as many experiences with Nigerian princes as no, we with, have in the Yeah, where you go to Baltimore and you get jumped. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's a, and that's she's, how Aunt Gertrude ended up in human trafficking. I mean, there's obviously something going on. Yeah, something friend, weird. She didn't know she had left her a bunch of land and a stable of retired racehorses. But the thing about that is, that isn't a ruse. That actually happened. No, I no, it's a ruse. Later, it turns I out. It turned, I think it's a ruse. But why would? This is another reason that the criminals are stupid. Okay. Why would you inform them that this place even exists at all? Exactly. Um, okay. Well, I'm confused about that. Because later, she, Mr. Hardy gets the lawyer to sell the land. Yeah. The, no. So the lawyer is – so they meet this lawyer. So, yeah. So the dad calls the lawyer to, you know, get the inheritance thing all squared away. And he can't go because he's busy with the case. And Aunt Gertrude doesn't want to go anywhere near anything with races. You know, she avoids all high school football fields because there's a track <laughs> there. You know, she she won't go anywhere near that kind of stuff. So the Hardy Boys go it's down un-American. to Racing act is un-American. as, you know, legally legal representatives of their aunts. 17, know, and, 17 an and 18. And they go to, like, see the the land, you know. 
But before they do this, there's going to be another race. So before, oh, yeah. before they're going to zip off to Baltimore, there's going to be another race. And they decide that they're going to ride on their bicycles, right? Yeah. They're going to ride the track the race cars are riding on, on their bicycles, with like a half hour to spare. Yeah, and they're like, we're going to get there. Well, that way we can check out the whole track, find out where this danger sign is, and figure out like what's what's up with it. But then they realize that they're like, oh my god, the race is going to start like now. And we're only halfway, <laughs> we're only done. halfway done. And then they're like, should we clear the track? No, we got to get to the end. And <laughs> and Joe even says, I'd forgotten how slow bicycling can be. <laughs> yeah, because you've been Joe? riding motorcycles and riding in a convertible for years now, it seems like. But they find this danger sign. It's a sign that's marked danger. And it's ordinary, except for one thing. It's much thicker than most signs. <laughs> And then they hear like a motor. Well, and we get our them. we get our third leaping lizards. Oh, that's right. Sign. I forgot. They we see this danger sign. Lizards. Yeah. And then they're like, "That's weird. That uh, there's definitely an engine in this sign." And then the race cars come around the track, and they're tearing right towards the boys. And then they see Alden's entry tearing up the the sharp uh, curve in the road ahead. Suddenly, it swerves out of control. The vehicle bounced into the air and hurtled towards the boys. And I think this is the cover. Photo. It is that we were very confused about. Yeah. This. So, how did his tire come off? I, I don't know. I, ma, ma, well, it looks like there's guns coming out of the side, like shooting. It looked like it shot the tire. The tire. But off. there are guns that are mounted on the side of his own car, pointing at his pointing rear tire. I think they're exhaust pipes, but they look like like machine guns. It looks very spy car. And then there's no doors on the car. No, can't get in a car. <laughs> Gotta go climb in and out. Yeah. There, you see the danger sign on the cover. Don't see any bicycles. You don't see any bicycles. You see the danger sign on the cover and, and it's got like this ray shooting out of it. It looks like when Indiana Jones is in the map room. Right. And it his the beam of light. lights up. Yeah, this kind of sort of what it looks like. And then the Hardy Boys, they don't look like they're trying to get out of the way. They actually look like they're trust falling back into the car. <laughs> Let's see if if this car will catch us. It's mostly because Joe has like this absurdly large smile on his face while this is happening. He doesn't look distressed. He looks really excited. That's why I chose Trust Fall. (laughs) Um, I really like that 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 Joe took the effort to wear dark brown socks to match his pants and shoes. Well, you know when you're you're like, where'd you get dark brown socks? Oh my gosh, that that totally reminds me. We we missed this line before, but I had highlighted it. Because it's when they it's when they're following Bartow home. Okay, and uh, so he leaves the plant. And they weren't able to get the fingerprints off the wax paper, so they want to you know track him to his apartment to see if there's some way they can get fingerprints. And the the line is they shadowed their suspect in the best detective fashion, and I just had this glimpse of like them on like a fashion runway wearing like <laughs> trench coats and like Dick Tracy gear, yeah. and like following him down the street like stomping like runway models like with, while the Pussycat Girls like play in the in the back. Yeah. And Bartow being like, oh, it's a <laughs> like, strapping young boy. That's the best detective. God, they look great. Fashion, you know. So it's time to check in with Bingo. Oh. So if you want to pull up your bingo board. Bingo, yes. We usually do it a couple times throughout the episode. Well, Fenton Hardy. Definitely. He's our free square. He's he almost always square. wears. Attempted murder I have from that beginning where that guy, where Roger tried to run them off the road for yes, no reason. I'll take that one. A, a new vehicle? Is that just any new vehicle? There's a lot of vehicles. Well, usually it's like the um, the Hardy Boys get a new car because in the first – or a new something because they kept getting them. But I'm going to include Chet now because Chet's been busting out some sweet vehicles. Okay. I, there was an explosion because Chet exploded and the smoke bomb. And there was a smoke bomb. There's an animal. Retired oh, right. racehorses. Yep, the horses. Great. I don't <laughs> think we've had a disguise yet or a gunfight. Uh, no bingo yet for me. Okay. Well, that would be amazing if we got there that fast, yeah. but I believe it. So this car 
is crashing towards them. They're going to die, but they're not. It's fine. They fall down a hill, right? Like a steep embankment? Yeah, they tumble head over heels to the bottom of the embankment. And then they lay stunned, which apparently means knocked out in old-timey language, because I thought they were just like laying there like, uh, uh, No, the Hardy later, would leap to their feet immediately yeah, and be like, we yeah. were just hit by a car. Later, they see Mr. Hardy and Alden, the, the inventor. The and they're leaning guy. over them. Yeah, and, and they find something in their pocket. Um, they find a note that says, this is a final warning. Hands off the Alden case. And I was like, that was ballsy. Which what, To what? run up to an unconscious teenager and stuff a note in his pocket? No, it was stupid. There was yeah, literally a car crash right next to them. Pick them up and throw them over the cliff that's like 20 yards away. Yeah, I, I always wonder about that. Like, sometimes they get knocked out and they're on a boat. And then they'll wake up and they'll be, like, on the shore tied up. And I'm like, no, throw them in the water. Throw them in the, in the water. water. They, there's no evidence behind they, you Throw them. Put them under the car. Though I kind of thought maybe they thought the boys were dead and the note was for Fenton. Oh, I can see that. Because that's a final warning. It's like, I killed your sons. Final warning. Final warning. Yeah. Yeah, the explosions, yeah, the car goes tumbling and its windshield is crazed. Okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And then they have this near-death experience where they're knocked out after they jump down an embankment and almost get killed by a a speeding vehicle. Right. And then they're like, well, off to the horse ranch. Yeah, then they go to Baltimore. Then they go to Baltimore. And they get Jack Wayne to fly them, right? No, they take the train. Oh, they take the train they this time. They take the train to Baltimore. That's right. And the attorney meets them at the station. I drew a question mark on this one. Let's see. Um, it was nearly noon when they arrived in Baltimore. The boys w- went directly to the information desk and noticed a tall, even-featured man standing nearby. Yeah. He appeared to be in his late 50s and was impeccably dressed. What the hell does that mean, even-featured? I, I don't know. Like he had a symmetrical face? Yeah, maybe. maybe he's like... I don't know. You know, sometimes people have that one eye that looks wonky. Yeah, maybe, maybe he had neither. Or both of his eyes look wonky in exactly the same Even way. Featured. It would it would or suck maybe, like, if you had a really symmetrical face, but both sides were, like, messed up. Yeah. But you they were symmetrical, so yeah. that would look nice. Be, so maybe he's really ugly, but it's just the same on both sides. Also, little little thing, Mr. Alden's experimental, uh, his, uh, his uh, research department gets burned down. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's a fire. Yeah, they find that person. out. And then they're like, okay, well, we got to go to Baltimore. And then bye. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, well, that's a clue, though. Um, so they, they meet the horses. They meet the horses. They meet, they which meet are old, Fenton. beautiful horses. Fenton. Not Fenton. Norman. Norm, Norman. Norman Fowler. Fowler, that's what it is. And he's the guy who, and I was like, bad guy. His last name Fowler. That sounds like a bad guy last yeah, name. Yeah. It's so easy. They go to Southern Pine Stables. But yeah, they, they talk to the manager a little bit. And he's like, oh, all of the stable hands are, aware, are away for the evening at a local affair. And the bunkhouse is empty. Sleep in the bunkhouse. And I'm like, can't they sleep in like a hotel in Baltimore? They're rich. They are rich. But maybe it's not the same. No, they're like slumming. They hear some weird voices doing some weird things. Yeah, which I thought, like, it's probably one of the stable hands bringing back a girl from the local affair, knowing that the stable, that the bunkhouse is empty. But then there's teenage boys in there. Yeah. Yeah, so they beat that lady up. No, they don't. They don't beat anybody up. They almost beat up Mr. Fowler. But he's like, I heard a noise. And I thought there were people out here, but I guess it's just you. And they're like, we heard a noise, but I guess it was just you. And then they go home. And then they go a, home. It was a fun little trip. D- I wrote day, day trip to Baltimore. Well, they, uh, meet, they, they meet the lawyer who's like, yeah, I'll sell the property right away. And he, they give him the authorization to and sell their like, aunt's <laughs> new land that I don't think she signed the deed for yet. No. There's the, there's, she threw it on the floor in the did. illustration. It was a telegram. It was a telegram. Oh, a telegram saying, like, it's yeah, yours. That her friend she doesn't know gave her. So let's see. This chapter is called The Elusive Stranger. Yes. Oh, there's a burglar, right? 
the detective, Detective Swayze, which I only thought of as Patrick Swayze. <laughs> and then all the cops were played by Patrick Swayze for the rest of the book for me. Yeah. But they caught a man who was rifling through Mr. Alden's office safe. And they're like, this has got to be the guy. And the guy's like, <laughs> Frank says, why did you take the impeller blades? And he says, them things were made out of shiny metal. I thought it might be silver and I could get some money for him. I was like, what are you, a bird? <laughs> like, this you, is clearly silver. <laughs> you went past somebody's garbage and saw shiny, or I guess uh, his, you're, oh, he went by the office safe. Yeah. And noticed. He just wandered by the safe. He was like, oh, look, a safe. I wonder if there's anything shiny inside. <laughs> Good guess. That might be made out of silver. Why else would you put it in a safe in this manufacturing plant that just had a building burned down? Like, most suspicious guy ever. Then they see Bartow, like, on the street. And they're like, get him! <laughs> and, well, and Bartow is talking to someone, and he had the collar of his jacket turned up high and his hat pulled low over his eyes. Like, like The guy he's with sure looks suspicious, <laughs> Joe commented. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, that, that's the best way to blend in. It's like, yeah, like you're Leonardo DiCaprio at a jazz festival. Right. Just, like, glasses, hat, collar popped up. Can I get a beer, please? I was thinking of that cartoon from the Neighborhood Watch symbol. Like the, he's, oh, like, yeah. literally, like, collar up and, like, hat down. He might as well have, like, a raccoon mask around his I've, eyes. I've never understood. Is that guy in the Neighborhood Watch symbol, is he the guy watching or is he the bad guy? Oh, I always thought he was the bad guy. I always thought he was the guy watching well, the Neighborhood. High collar, low hat. That's I know, but he wants to blend guy. in and, like, catch the bad guy. I don't know. I, I could never tell if, uh... Which then, like the night security, but I always love the idea of being like someone breaking into a house and all of a sudden like clank, clank, clank. And they're like, what the hell is that? And then they turn around and standing in the doorway to the house is a knight in full metal armor. <laughs> yeah. And they're like moving so slow and like can't lift his sword up. And they're like, let's get out of here. And they push the guy over. Like, he's just like turtled in the yeah. foyer. He, like, night, can't security. Get night security. Night um, security. They see Bartow. He's talking to a suspicious man. He shoves the guy. Yeah. And they're like, get that guy that Bartow shoved, I guess. And they chase him. Fenton stays outside. They run into a building. They run upstairs. They get on the roof. They jump from one building to another building. Yeah. They run downstairs. And their father's outside. And he's like, oh, yeah, he he got away. He got away. I was too far away. I couldn't get to him in time. They're like, but you stayed outside specifically to catch him. And they're like, well, he came out of a different building. Why'd you guys jump from one building to another building? It's like, that kind of makes sense. Like, if I was staking out a building and the guy ran across the building out of the door of the building next to me, I'd be like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> but you think you'd hear people leaping. Well, whatever. I don't know. I don't know how tall the buildings how, yeah, in Bayport are. A, who knows? It's a weird place. But yeah, what happened to the guy that was robbing the safe? He, he's, he just ended up in jail. He just went and to I, jail. And I really do not think that he's ever mentioned again. No, me either. I was like, what happened to that guy? He's just gone. Yeah, I, I mean. I don't remember him ever He's the kind of guy again. who walks near a safe. He passed a background check to work at an experimental auto engine. Like, whatever. But he, like, walks by a safe and is like, I'm going to crack that open. Easy. I mean, the dude hires foreigners, clearly. Yeah, I guess. He wasn't given a name, I don't clearly, think. Clearly, he wasn't. Uh... Let's see. So, they chased <laughs> the guy. I wrote, bird-like so then, burglar. Like, right after this foot chase the alden experiment the inventor guy the yeah. race car driver inventor guy shows up and he's like i'm gonna go test my I'm new engine again test my new engine i'm like didn't your plant burn down <laughs> it's like there was just a fire well he, he even says after the plant burned down he's like it's a good thing i've got another research lab in another building 
That's like literally the line. <laughs> He's like, oh, oh, it's a good thing I've got another research lab like right over here. Maybe we should have checked that place out too. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. Um, so they're going to drive up and down the street oh, really yeah. fast. That's and their plan the to test it. the boys draw straws to see who gets to ride with him. All the cars get destroyed. Why would any of them want to ride with him? So Frank... Because it's a race car. Frank um, gets to ride next to the Alden guy in the car. And Joe has to go up, watch from the hill with a walkie-talkie to let him know in case any other cars are coming. Because it's not a closed course. There's, like, no I I kind of had this image, though, of just, like, Joe sitting up on the hill and, and Frank and Mr. Alden in the car. And the car is just there for a really long time, very still. And Joe being like, I thought they were going to race. And then he just waits and waits. And what are they doing in there? And then, like, finally the engine starts. And he's like, what were they doing in there? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) I also think that there's sometimes that Fenton, like, disappears for a while and comes back. He's like, I had to make a quick trip to investigate a lead. And I was like, rest stop. That's a rest stop. Right. Yeah, that's he's, he's like getting some play. Well, one of them, the, well, that, that, everybody went down to Mexico, and he's like, I got to go to Mexico City for some reason. And then he just like disappears, and he shows up at the end of the book. And I was like, he was just like hookers and blow, hookers and blow. in Mexico yeah. City for two weeks while his boys like. Why do you think Mrs. Hardy is on Valium all this time? Right, well. I mean, divorce was not an option. Nope. I feel like Fenton is not particularly good looking. He's not very nice. And he's a, really an asshole. Yeah. Like, he t- basically tells his wife to calm down after a smoke bomb gets thrown in the house. Right. Don't be silly. Yeah, he seems like the kind of person who would, if somebody was like, oh, I have smoke in my eyes, he'd, like, slap them and shake them and be like, get a hold of yourself. Right. And he'd be like, I'm fine. I just, I now I have a big welt in my face. I feel like there's this real madman dynamic yeah, that's going on in Yeah, definitely. I think he's got know. a tumbler, like, of scotch in his hand all at all the time. time. All he's the like, time. He's like Julian from Trailer Park Boys. Like, he never <laughs> puts down the scotch glass. Yeah. I actually would like him way more if he constantly had to, like, fumble a gun and a scotch glass <laughs> in one hand, like Julian always has to do. The, the car gets crazed. No, it doesn't get crazy. Oh, okay. so, so so Joe is watching with the walkie-talkie, and there's nobody on the road, and so they fly, they drive up and down a couple times really fast, and then this oh old God, car right. like shows up, and they're they're gonna get in a crash, and Joe's horror stricken, and he's the screaming car is at just them. like heading towards the yeah. yeah, and he's like screaming at them in the walkie-talkie, and it's not working, and then at the last second, the mystery car swerves out of control, tumbles into a ditch, and then it's a mass of flames. There's no explanation as to how it catches on fire. It's going really slowly, and the other car's going really fast. So I don't know, like a fender bender is enough to light this thing. A charred mass of twisted metal. But then I like this. I wrote, cool. Uh, Frank, looking underneath, made a startling discovery. To the underside was attached the remains of an elaborate... This is a charred, twisted metal that he finds this, but... To the underside was attached the remains of an elaborate radio control system. Wires ran from it to the throttle and the steering mechanism. So that's how the car was operated with no driver. Because they find out when the car crashes that nobody was in it. But why did it go haywire all of a sudden? Yeah, and then he's like, oh, it must have, uh, when Joe used the walkie-talkie to warn us, the signal must have interfered with the radio frequency used to guide the car. And I was like, cool, but also kind of lame. Yeah. Like, you're smart enough to make a radio-controlled actual car. But, but a kid on a walkie-talkie. Anticipate any interference. Any interference at all. And the in fact the age that it, of radio. It doesn't just stop in the middle of the road when the radio when the signal gets destroyed. Right. It goes it's nuts like and a, drives into the And ditch. then explodes. And explodes. And then explodes for some inexplicable reason. Um, so then they're like, then Mr. Alden, which Mr. Hardy, Mr. Hardy is not there. They're just with Mr. Alden, who they yeah. met at this point, I think, what, four days ago? Four days ago. Last and, uh, yeah. 
Um, then he's like, hey, boys, do you want to come to my stable in the middle of nowhere? Just see my retired racehorses? And they're like, racehorses? <laughs> and so and so they invite Chet. Chet comes yeah, with them. Because Chet would love to go. And I feel like Mr. Alden. So they're like, and would you mind if we bring our friend Chet? And Mr. Alden's next line is, please do. I know. And I'm like, this. Oh no! These boys—they're—they're one roofie away from a really bad from a really bad night, and they'd wake up tied up, and they'd be like, "Damn, nabbed again!" (laughs) Oh, my butt hurts again. My butt hurts again. (laughs) That always happens when I get tied up. Um, Yeah, the there was one where uh, Jack Wayne really likes Chet too, and there's sometimes where they're like, "Jack, can you drive? Can you fly us down to you know Costa Rica?" And he's like, "Cool, yeah, definitely. Could your friend Chet come?" And they were like, uh, sure, we could ask him if you want. <laughs> Why? And he's like, I just like that kid. Nice kid. <laughs> There's something fishy going on so in Bayport. They show up to pick up Chet, and Chet's got a bunch of pocket apples, which um, I don't know. Like, I don't want an urban dictionary what a pocket apple is. <laughs> but he, like, pulls out, a bu- like, three apples he has in his pockets and yeah. gives them to his, his friends. And I'm like, gross, dude. I don't want your pocket apples. Um, and then later, he's, he, they meet the horse. Its name is Top Notch. And Chet, yeah, Chet Notch. says, nice piece of horse flesh. Ew. <laughs> Gross, Chet. Like, Chet's like, I need a horse. No problem. Meat is meat. Horse flesh. Yeah. <laughs> you think this, what is And that? everyone looked at Chet like he was a weirdo. Yeah. Um, but then they see that Roger's over there, and he's like, oh, yeah, after Roger destroyed that race car, we decided to get him a job at the stable. Roger the d- D-bag. Yeah, Roger the, the D-bag. Yeah. And they're like, hi, Roger. And they go to talk to him. And he, as soon as he sees him, he's like, oh, it's you guys again. You guys keep popping up like a bad dream. And then he says, you're still carrying a chip on your shoulder? Yeah, dude. Are you kidding you me? Humi- you humiliated the kid in front of his dad who's, like, distant and is not really concerned after he gets in a car accident. Yeah. Like, no wonder this kid has issues. You, you, I've got to work in this lousy place to play for that stock car. I had an accident. You Hardys were the cause of it all. And then Frank says, uh, you know we didn't reflect sunlight in your eyes while you were driving. And I'm like, you did. You did do that. You said you were going to do it, and then you did it. Like, <laughs> it's so funny, too, because then immediately after this... I think there's another throwaway about Chuck being fat. And then oh, yeah, they sure. get into a fight. Chet gets in a, a wacky fight with him. Yeah, so, like, Chet says something like, that fellow is about as friendly as an enraged cobra. That's a sick burn. Nice. By the way. What the fuck kind of insult is that? <laughs> like, I would, like, roll my eyes. Like, all my anger would flow out of me. I'd be like, oh, my God, like, this What? <laughs> what? Friendly as an enraged cobra? <laughs> How long have you been holding on to that sick bird? I know, he like, carries it around in his back pocket. He's just, I like, read that in a 40-year-old book. And it's yeah. the 20s now. It's my dime novel hidden in the corn crib. It actually, um, one of my favorite things, the show Deadwood, when I worked in Deadwood, people would always be like, was it? Was the show any like accurate at all? Like, well, those char- like most of the people were based on real characters, but nobody swore like that in the real Wild West. No, no. No, and one of the most, like, Famous terrible things that Al Swearingen ever said in Deadwood is that he yelled at a woman, fooey on your Bible oh! in public. And oh, it made it in no. like the town record. That, I bet it and did. like he was held up on indecency charges. Oh, yeah. This is a man who shipped women for prostitution into the hills. But you don't say fooey. But you don't on say fooey on your Bible. Fooey, and I was like, that's that's that's, that's not a that's geez. a rough word. But doesn't he pull like a feed bag over Roger's head and yeah, then so they Roger, shove him around? Roger decides to like Get back at Chet for calling him an enraged cobra. By proving him exactly right. His blood is boiling. 
And so he picks up a large mass of hay with his pitchfork and he flings it on top of the chubby youth is the way it's Yeah, written. the way that the narrator chooses to describe Chet. So Chet Which isn't that bad to be like, I'm just going to hit him with some hay. I know. Like it's sort <laughs> of like... some hay on your... No, so then Chet grabs a feed bag, pulls it over Roger's head down to his elbows, and the imprisoned boys stumbled around the stall in a frenzy. Like, that's fucked up. That's like... <laughs> Roger is going to come back to the school with, I know. with a list, the they, kind of shit. They keep dropping pig's blood on him at prom. Like, I know. Stop doing He's going to get his psychic powers and slaughter them all. Um, yeah, but but then Mr. Alden shows up, and he's, he said he was too preoccupied with Top Notch to notice these three boys harassing his son. So I know, and the, even the boys say, let's not say anything to him about Roger. That's like classic guilty. Like, they know they went too far. Yeah. Kid thing. So they like, and Chet likes the horse, and he like he says he sure super sure beats our farm horses. And so I was like, why? Then what? they leave. I know. <laughs> they get home. They have time enough to go to sleep, and then they get a phone call, and it's Mister Alden calling the young boys in the middle of the night, saying, "Sorry to disturb you, but something terrible has happened, and I need your help." I'm like, something happened to Roger? No, no, no. I'm at the stable. Top Notch has been stolen. Right. Because <laughs> he clearly cares more about Top Notch. Top-notch, he's a top-notch racehorse. He's son. He is a top-notch racehorse. Um, and so the boys are like, it was Roger. <laughs> they did. That's the immediate, the, the conclusion that they come to is that it was Roger. <laughs> Poor like, Roger. I really started to feel bad for him. Yeah, I feel bad for him, too. And also, is, but if I, like, well, we harassed him, we humiliated him, then we found him at his new job, <laughs> harassed him and humiliated him. And he's him. got, like, terrible And the whole time issues. that he was being harassed, his dad was stroking a horse. <laughs> Like, within earshot, I feel like. Like, he was right there. He knew what was happening. I mean, I'm having, like, flashbacks to middle school. I know. I had, like, some serious anger. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to steal that goddamn horse, and my dad's never going to get it back. That's going to show my dad. But then Mr. Hardy is like, well, okay, I know that Roger would never win a popularity contest, but it's hard to believe he'd be mean enough to do a thing like this. And you're like, I don't know. When you push someone far enough. Yeah. (laughs) He's been pretty pushed. Yeah. Um, Plus he's got a dead mom. Yeah, right. He's got a lot of stuff going on. Um, And then, of course, they immediately know that the motive for stealing Top Notch is ransom. Yeah. It's it's not because he's the champion racehorse. Which would make more sense. The whole thing would have made more sense to me if Top Notch had, like, a race this weekend. And it was, like, the final race and there was a huge prize and, like, all that stuff. But he's a retired racer, so you think Mr. Alden would be like, oh, damn. Well, hang up the phone. He's really got... Very distinctive markings too. Yeah, he's, he's got um, white hooves. Yeah, he's like all white chestnut, except he's got white, white right hooves. by his yeah. hooves. And and you know it's funny too because uh, I, I've read the complete works of Sherlock Holmes for for work. We had a Sherlock Holmes exhibit. And, oh, I have read it for fun. I and, absolutely and, love Sherlock. Holmes. And there's a famous Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah, story uh, about Silver uh, Silver Blaze. Silver Blaze, and um, who killed Silver Blaze? His owner. He, right, and uh, you know the horse switcheroos. And there's a couple subtle. Sherlock Holmes. There are there are a couple references to Silver Blaze. I bet he's going to have some paint on him. Well, they decide that uh, as our previous president did to our current president, they're going to tap the phones of of the whoever calls to ask for ransom, and they do it. But the guy's an expert because he hangs up real fast. Right? No, he doesn't. They're like, that's not why he hangs up. They said, you want fifty thousand dollars ransom to to return top notch? You're out of your mind. I'd want absolute proof before I handed over that kind of money. And then the guy hangs up. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe he's going to get proof. Like, I, I, I love that the ransom call is transferred via his secretary. <laughs> secretary's like, and who can I tell him is calling? Uh, the kidnappers? <laughs> Do you have a first name, sir? Uh, kid. 
And your last name, sir? Would be Nappers. All right, Mr. Nappers, I'm going to put you on a brief hold. And uh, Mr. Alden, there's a kid, Nappers, on the, on the line. Oh, you were expecting his call. Okay. Kid Nappers. Horse Nappers. That's the best I could come up with. But I think it would be exactly what the villains in this book Yeah, exactly. Would be. Because uh, if they're walking around with fake mustaches on trying to sell stolen property and like their collars turned up to have secret meetings in the middle of a crowded street, I... They're, we're not dealing with the grade A criminal. But then thing. the worst thing is they go back out to Rod to find Roger and to harass him some more. And I'm like, just leave Roger alone. Like, stop, stop <laughs> interacting with this kid. And he, as, as soon as he sees him, he says, it's you guys again. Haven't you got a home? <laughs> Get lost. I don't have time to answer any of your stupid questions. And uh, Come off it. <laughs> like, oh, you're being so unreasonable. Just leave me alone. And then he's like. They're like, where were you last night? He's like, why don't you look in your crystal ball to find out? Like, Cut the comedy. And I was like, comedy. Cut the comedy. But yeah, and then he's like, I was working on my dragster all night at home. And they're like, can anybody prove it? And I wanted him to be like, no, no one's ever home. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, Roger. Oh, that would be perfect. But he says, no, I was alone. Yeah. What about your father? Didn't he see you? He was visiting friends till late. I was already in bed when he got home. Oh. I thought he stayed up too, oh. hoping that his dad would come home. But then it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. And yeah. he's like, I got to go to bed. I can't even stay up. I bet he fell asleep in a chair in the living room. Ah, oh, poor kid. The maid um, put him to bed. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, he tells him, I have had enough of with you two, and what what I do is none of your business. And then Joe says, we're making it our business. Yeah, the Hardy Boys, they do not give two they, fucks yeah, they're about gonna... people's feelings or, like, how much they, like, chat, they make fun of him, they use him, their other friends. I think that's about to come up here, too, in a second. Yeah, well, they go home, they have uh, delicious um, custard pie coconut custard pie they have roast turkey for supper um, Gertrude is a bitch somewhere. is a bitch to them let's hope your sons can stay put long enough to eat it <laughs> uh, and they do and then they go to bed early um, they do go to bed early a lot yeah they I go noticed. to bed early because yeah. they also do their Sunday they do their they go to church and do their chores on Sunday they find a picture so they so Mr. Alden gets another call from kid nappers right and they he, they tell him to go to the library and look at a book called Famous Horses of the World, which they do, and they find a photograph with Top Notch inside. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's not like a book; it's not in the book. I mean, the photo has been placed between yes, the pages cla- of the book. Clarification, yeah, <laughs> it's been added what? to the yep, book. Yep, that's Top Notch. Necessary clarification. So they're <laughs> like, "Well, damn, I'll have to pay the ransom." And they say, "Well, tell the tell kidnappers that." That uh, you have to wait till Friday because you can't get fifty thousand dollars together, which yeah. in the fifties was a, a lot of money. Yeah, I understand. You got to get yeah. like an advance. You the gotta, bank might not have fifty thousand dollars on hand you in know, Bayport cash. Um, but then, but then the experimental car is stolen. Yeah, then the experimental car is stolen. So like Mr. Alden is just yeah, it's a it's a rough situation for him. But he seems fine. He doesn't ever seem that upset. Well, they had the car off at the pass. Oh, that's right. In the yeah, convertible, they, they chase because the... they'll never catch it. If they go behind, it's it's a race car. It's a race car. It's yeah. too fast. So they go around. Yeah. Which apparently the driver of the experimental car did not know there was a shortcut between here no. and town. He, he's like, I'll, I'll take the scenic route. Let's see. Does it get away? No. They they stop in front of it. And, and Roger, it's, it's Roger. Roger. Roger just, just <laughs> crying out he's for attention. Acting out. Desperate, desperate to get his father to interact with him. And he's like, you care. You know, it's like this sort of thing. You care about your horses and your cars more than... More than me. I do kind of want to go to a child psychologist and be like, all right, here's the profile that I can do. I know. 
<laughs> Mother died when the child was young. Father's, Father's a famous race car very driver. Very absent. Lots of money. Mm-hmm. Kid has obviously been acting out. He's gotten in deliberate car accidents. He's deliberately disobeyed his father. He's stolen his father's property. What do you think? I feel like any child psychologist would be like, get the child to me now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that they need to spend more time together in a supervised environment. Yeah, Mr. Alden says, you know my racer is a secret project. How dare you take it for a drive? And I wrote, because Jesus, Dad. <laughs> At least you're talking to me now. Like That's true. It seems like the only time he gets attention from his dad is when he acts classic stuff. We should have this in like child psych one oh one. Exactly like should be why Roger reading. Yeah, so they, they what do they decide? They're gonna take the um they're gonna take the picture of top notch to a botanist at a yes. local museum. Oh, that's another thing that I was gonna um because there's there's bushes in the background of the picture. Yeah. So they're so like the botanist a botanist, but I was going to put – there's got to be – I want to put a museum because uh, oh, museums and libraries have showed up a lot when they need research, but not in every book. Yeah, so they added a botanist, Mr. Ronald Claus, and I was like, why did you name this guy? Ronald Claus. Ronald he's Claus. He's Santa's brother. The botanist. The botanist. In Bayport. Yeah. And the shrubs are out of focus, but he's like, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, uh, that's nice, right? Yeah, and I'm that's like, a, but like, lead. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know a ton about botany, but I don't feel like – I feel like you can – plants are like, oh, it's native to northeastern North America. Yeah. And you'd be like, that's where we are. There could be a lot of plants that fit that description. Right. It's I like if you went to the west and you were like, oh, those are tumbleweeds. Oh, but then here's the thing. They're like, I'm, they're like, I'm still not convinced that Roger is innocent. Right. And Joe's like, I'm not either. Why don't we shadow him tomorrow? If he's in with the crooks, he might try to contact him. And I was like, guys, No. But then they say that they can't shadow him because he knows what they look like. So they get their friends. uh, Fans of the podcast will recognize these characters. Biff Hooper, who is tall, lanky, and the guy who trained Chet how to box. And Tony Prito, who is Italian. Those are their defining characteristics. (laughs) Um, And they always do this. They call them. They use them. They never call them again. And they they always welcome a chance to work with the Hardy Boys. On their cases, yeah. But they're like, let's – they tell them to follow Roger Roger and uh, try to be as inconspicuous as possible. We don't want to suspect suspect he's being watched. And they're like, you can depend on us. And then they just sit by the phone. Yeah, and then then they get a phone call and Roger is in a restaurant with some suspicious characters. And And, so they rush off to the restaurant. So they show up right away and they're like, if Roger leaves in the meantime – Stick with him. You can let us know where you are by leaving a mother with mother or Aunt Gertrude. We'll check in with them every 15 minutes. I'm like, that's got to be goddamn annoying. <laughs> like, you're home, and you're at home, and you, everybody's gone. And then, like, every 15 minutes, your sons call you be like, have you heard from Biff and Tony? And you're like, no. Laura, Laura doesn't care. She's no. on all the volume in the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, I don't remember. She- Probably not. <laughs> And then she's like, Biff, he's the tall one, right? And they're like, yeah, have you heard from him? I haven't seen Biff in a while. in a while. No, he wasn't supposed to come by, Mom. He was going to call. Oh, Oh, well, I should probably hang up. Case calls. And I should fix some things before Biff shows up. (laughs) Yeah. So so they, um, Roger comes out with two strangers at the restaurant. And then they all take off in different directions. So, So Biff and Tony... Yeah, follow. Go, go after Roger. Right. Frank goes after one of the guys, and yeah. Joe goes after the other. And they end up in a alleyway, and there's like a smoke explosion. Yeah, basically, Frank is following this guy, and he's like, I don't think he's seen me. And then 
the guy runs into an alleyway and Frank chases after him and all he sees is like a bunch of garbage and a uh, pile of discarded wooden crates. And then Frank's like, oh, that man must be hiding behind the crates. And as he walks towards it, the man jumps out and throws a bomb at him, which is a tear gra- gas tear grenade. Tear gas bomb. And so they get in a fight in the tear gas and, and Frank punches someone. And then he goes to punch someone else and his move is blocked. Right, and, and, which is how you know that it's Joe. <laughs> right. Because Joe is trained well enough that he's able to be like, yeah, yeah. In the smoke, he like catches his fist. <laughs> so the smoke clears, but Frank did punch somebody, and it's his suspect, and Frank has knocked him out. With one punch. It, in smoke. Yeah, like, while suffering from tear gas <laughs> exposure. Yeah, and I always say, like, there, there are many times where it's shown that these boys have superhuman powers, where oh they will, God. like, dive to the bottom of the ocean and pull up a, a piece of machinery from the bottom. Or many times they punch a person and the person is knocked flat and Joe will be like, wow, guess I don't know my own strength. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because you're the freaking gladiator. Like, That's why I feel like it's all a setup. Like, yeah, it's all a setup. Like it was a paid actor. Like, He's oh, like, you you'll got throw... me. He's like, you'll throw down the smoke bomb. Just let him tap you on the jaw. You won't even get a bruise. Fall down. It's not even tear gas. It's just a normal like fog machine <laughs> smoke that yeah. like kind of itch, right. makes your throat itch. Because <laughs> they like, don't have any oh, rough after effects. If you were no. in a thick cloud of mace... You'd be like, oh, God, I think I got my man, but I need to flush my eyes. They talk to the guy that they captured. His name is Tempson. And they're like, why are you hanging out with Roger? And he's like, I don't know who you're talking about. We, we were, it was a crowded restaurant, and he decided to share his table. And he said we could share his table. And I wrote, nice kid. Yeah. Like, seems like a nice kid. Then a policeman shows up, and they find a tear gas bomb in, in the Tempson guy's, in the guy's pocket. He's carrying tear gas bombs, which I'm like, how often are you standing around? And all of a sudden, he just goes, Psst. I know, right? Oh, don't sit on it. Yeah. You, Fills clearly, these things, tears. like, go, <laughs> don't get kicked in the pocket. Right. Um, then one of my favorite things is uh, he says to the, because the police officer shows up, searches him, finds him, and the guy says, you can't arrest me. I ain't done nothing. There happens to be a law against tossing bombs at people. <laughs> like, I wrote it. Really? <laughs> one of my favorite old ones is they were watching some people riding speedboats around, and then one guy in a speedboat threw a grenade. It was like a boat that was racing. Like, I wonder if that's the Coast Guard chasing him. And then somebody threw a grenade from one boat to another. Like, the Coast Guard doesn't use grenades. <laughs> I was like, well, the Coast Guard doesn't maybe in these books grenades. they would. Bomb, there's a lot of bombs. So they decide to see if Roger went back to the stable, mm-hmm. and they ask him, like, hey, what were you doing with those creeps? And he's like, hey, it was a crowded restaurant. I said they could share my table. Yeah. And I wrote, nice kid. And they're like, very considerate of you. What made you so friendly all the time? And, he's, and he yells and he's like, I don't have to take that from you, which I love that. He's not even allowed to be nice to people no. anymore. And here comes the most humiliating thing that happens to Roger because <laughs> the boys get into a fight and then Joe, or is it Joe? I think Joe. They put a horse on They grab a horse harness. Like a, It's probably like a bridle, but it just yeah. says harness, which is weird to me. Yeah. And they like tie him up, and he's like struggling and shouting. And then the, the ranch hands come in, the grooms and stuff. The adults who the he adults. has to work with. Several grooms had collected around the boys, and they say, Hey, Roger's wisecracking must have finally got him in trouble. And yeah, he sure looks funny with that harness wrapped around him. I think he should keep it on permanently. This kid cannot catch a break. Also, there's a lot of gay subtext there. Yeah, absolutely. Those grooms really want to see Roger. I know. That's what I was like. Oh, this is going to get rough. But I like this. This is one of the moments that, like, Joe has a flicker of doubt. 
Joe felt a bit embarrassed and released Roger, who glared at the faces around him. Then he stormed off. And I wrote, they are turning this kid into the bad guy. They like, are. everything they do. It's like if in Harry Potter, when he met Malfoy, if the first thing that Hermione did was, like, pants Malfoy in front of everybody. <laughs> and then they were and like... And he was Snape. That's what happened. Right. That's exactly Snape. what And you're he, like... And that's is... what makes him a, a tragic figure, is that, like, oh, yeah, Harry's dad was a jerk and turned him into a villain. I know. Not even a villain. Let's see. They... they the boys go home. So then they go home and uh, Mr. Claus... Oh, yeah. More botany. Yes. Mr. Claus, uh, Santa's brother, calls from the museum. And shocking twist... The bushes, the blurry bushes in the background, are Rubus deparatus. I don't know if that's real or not. Yeah. They're indigenous to Maryland and parts of Virginia, like Baltimore, where the retired mysterious horse racing horse stable racing stable is, is from. Like, but also, like Baltimore and and Virginia aren't that far from upstate New York. No. Anyway, well, let's check in. But with it's a good again. thing that that the photographers were very. Um, specific about posing the horse like they probably spent hours on that ransom photograph they're like no the lighting's not right can we get some bounce over here we're losing the light can we get the bounce we gotta move quick come on i want i want like i know the horse is alive but i want life in the shot so let's do like plants maybe like a background like some bushes right no no not ordinary bushes i want it to look real all right i want it to look like we are where we are look at you know like in the right i want to give them as many clues as possible um so let's check in with our bingo again okay i think would you call anything that happened with roger a fist fight uh well no but but frank oh yeah and the tear guy out yeah he knocked the guy out so fist Fist fight fight. um the boys have left bayport okay they yep they definitely did they went to clayton and they went to baltimore I don't have a respectful use of Spanish no. in this one. A disguise? No. I Well, I don't know if a popped collar is a disguise. There's better disguises later, right? Well, no, musta- he was the mustachioed. The mustachioed guy yeah. who's clearly... Obviously phony. Obviously phony. Sabotage. Well, I mean, the entire... Sabotage? The entire... All the cars have been sabotaged. All this, yeah, we can count that. Yeah, definitely. Hello, detectives. I'm sitting here with Owen Hickey, who is the co-owner and general manager of Celtic on Market. Uh, Celtic is well known as a place where people can bet uh, off-track horse racing and what other kind of racing? Uh, we do greyhound greyhound racing as well. Racing as well. Uh, there's one else. Uh, there's thoroughbreds and then there's another thing called standard breads, which is uh, pretty much like horse and buggy racing. Which is I am learning things already. This yeah. is awesome. They're also called trotters because they can't break into full gallop. So it's, okay, it's kind of uh, interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about Celtic. So the Celtic's been around for going on 19 years now. Uh, Two years ago, we had to switch locations. So, in our new spot here on 14th and Market in Denver, we picked up the horse and dog theme uh, and racing about six years ago. Uh, there's a few places in Colorado, but for the most part, we're the we're the biggest one in, in in the metro area. Was it like a private passion that inspired you guys to to pick that up, or was it? Uh... Honestly, the big thing was uh, it was right after the recession hit, and every single barn restaurant was really hurting yeah nobody was spending money we were really looking into uh different things that we could do just to bring more people in uh, thankfully we stumbled upon this my father the other one of the other co-owners um was big into horse racing when he lived in europe okay um so kind of had an idea that you know this could be great this could be the thing that brought us through and it certainly helped us break through and you know survive that horrible recession we had in yeah that was pretty rough for everybody mm-hmm. so I know very little about horse racing. Um, so what are some basics that everybody who's going to like go do off-track betting for the very first time should know? Sure. Um, 
as pretty much any hobby or you know gambling goes, uh, there's extreme basics, which is pretty much you know uh, knowing there's jockeys, there's horses, and then there's trainers. Okay, they all kind of work together to come up with a game plan. It's very strategical. A lot of people just think that you start off. Uh, you pick the horse with the name you like. Yeah, you just hop on and right. you go. A um, lot, lot goes into it. A lot of money. Yeah, big money obviously. goes into this. Um, but really, what you the easiest way to do it is come up. You just look at the screen. Um, the screen will give you pretty much the odds of the horse, which is the higher the odds, mm-hmm. the least likely it's, it's going to come in. So uh, really, the easiest way to do it, uh, what we suggest, pick up a program from the bar. It'll show you the names, the jockeys of all the horses. A fun way to do it is, as you said, just pick names and go for yeah. it. Honestly, it's as good as way as any most of the time. Uh, right. As any gambling, a lot of luck goes into this. You know, the best horse in the world could wake up one morning and be in a grumpy mood and not want to run. Just like any of us would go in the work. So, so can you like what would be what would be the riskiest bet that you could make here? Like, what is there like something where you pick like where? Every horse is going to land in the race? Sure, yeah. So it starts off, easiest bets are win, place, show, which equates to first, second, third. Okay. So if you put a show bet, it just has to come in the top three. Okay. They call it hitting the board. Um, After that, there's things called exotic bets. The easiest of them is called an exacta, which you just have to pick the first and second horses that come first and second. It goes into trifectas, which is first three. Superfectas, we're getting pretty hard here. Okay. That you have to get top four. And then there's a huge one called Pentafecto or Super High Five, which awesome. is literally the top five. That sounds like a metal band. I love it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Pentafecto, I like that. So the top five, and there's lots of different ways that you can make your odds better by, you know, going, you know, you can do them called straight, which is just coming first, second, third, fourth in order, which, okay, if you can do that, you're That's a psychic savant. ability, yeah. yeah. You have come back in time, you know, you're, you're Terminator. You, you've got the almanac. You've got yeah. the sports almanac exactly. from the future, right? Uh, there's a thing called wheeling, which you can pick and choose which horses you want to come in different order. Uh, boxing, which is literally just, it's like every way, every combination. Okay. So if you have four horses you like, you can have them come in any combination, but you're paying for it. Yeah, you're paying. Is that like an individual bet per horse? Yeah, it's, it's actually multiplied. So, okay. you know, if you're going, if it's a four horses in any order, it would be $24. You have to be dollar bet. very confident very in confident. yourself. Yeah. Um, I would definitely would not be. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, um, So, tell me a bit about your family. Tell me a bit about, you said that your uh, father, he's the co-owner of the place as well. Yeah, so uh, my parents came over here from Germany. So my dad's from Ireland. He's uh, in the west coast of Ireland, a town called Galway. Okay. Um, they actually have pretty big races over there. But he moved over to Germany when he was quite young after doing some hotel management stuff. Uh, opened quite a few bars. He opened his first bar at the age of 21 in Germany. Wow. Uh, so yeah, he was quite the go-getter early on. Went into the liquor distribution business, learned a lot about the industry itself, made some good connections. They, so he met my mother in a town called Dusseldorf, which is in the mm-hmm. northwest corner in, on the Rhine in Germany. Um, they met. We, I, lived, I was born seven years later. Uh, they had a great opportunity to come over here and open a bar, which was the first Celtic Tavern. Oh, great. Where was that one? It was on 18th and Blake. Okay. Uh, so about two blocks from Coors Field. Uh, when they came over here, built the bar, kind of hit Lodo before Lodo was really right. what it is today. It was probably the most popular bar in Denver for about six or seven years. Then recession. Recession, right. That. Yeah. Uh, I was born in Germany as well. 
grew up there. But I, I consider myself pretty American at this point. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, can't, I don't have much of an accent anymore. They do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they still have accents. Yeah, it's pretty cool when you get to talk to them. I introduce them to people and they're mind blown that they have accents and I don't. So Yeah. Which is always really fun. And I always get the, the question, why don't you have an accent? Well, you don't really get to choose when you have yeah, an accent. Yeah, I know. You, know? <laughs> you should ask them the same thing in return. Why don't you have an accent? Right, exactly. Like, I was just going to ask, uh, do you have, like, what's what's your customer base at? Like, here, do you have your regulars? Do you have... Yeah, absolutely. We, we have definitely a base of regulars. So, as you probably noticed, we have a downstairs, which mm-hmm. is mostly the off-track betting, kind of the more... Which is where we are right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's more of like a gentleman's club feel, a lot of lounge chairs, mm-hmm. a lot of cozy lamps. Definitely comfortable. Um, you know, there's no natural light, so it's all lamp lit. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives it that old almost like prohibition style feel down yeah. here. Um, whereas the upstairs is a lot more modern. We have a lot more lighting up there, mm-hmm. kind of more of an open concept, uh, not a lot of walls, which is really nice. Um, you know, upstairs, we find a lot more through traffic, which sure. people just walking. Downstairs, you get a lot more people that know what's here. Yeah. Uh, when people discover what this is, it's, it's really cool. You know, they're kind of mind blown that this mm-hmm. is even like allowed. Yeah, it seems, uh, a, and I, I like the, when you go downstairs, it seems like a little secret hidden thing. You know? Yeah, it's absolutely. Um, and it's very seasonal with if we find new uh, people or not. Okay. Um, obviously, the Kentucky Derby is a huge day. It's actually our biggest day. It's, it's yeah, I was going to guess. It's kind of overtaken St. Patrick's Day for us because it's an Irish yeah. bar, uh, first and foremost. But um, with Kentucky Derby and horse racing kind of becoming more popular nowadays which we're really happy about yeah it's, sure it's traditionally more of like an old man thing yeah um, but now it's like i think our friends who are in their like 20s and 30s had a big kentucky derby party and everybody you know dressed up and made mint yeah. juleps and everything big hats yeah and, it's really cool and it gives us a lot of exposure during that time so the triple crown which uh, kentucky derby is the first yep. part of uh then you have the Preakness state and then it follows up with the uh, the belmont okay which right. is in new york um those three races bring in a lot of new faces to us and really gives us a lot of exposure. And it's really cool to introduce people and like you guys. Do you see really people know. that like get a taste of it and then just like want to keep coming back? Yeah, we, we, have, we have quite a few uh, younger guys that come in here yeah. and that came here for Kentucky Derby, fell in love and come here almost every Saturday. And oh, spend cool. all day here and, you know, have a few drinks, hang out, play some ponies, hopefully win some money. Um, and, uh, yeah, but we do a lot of different stuff down here. You know, the downstairs we use is very versatile because uh, most nights we actually close down here because all the horse racing is sure. done. So we like to make like what are What are good hours for the horse racing down here? Yeah, so um, typically 11 to about 6.30 p.m. Okay, uh, cool. It's like a, a normal day for us. Uh, we're not open Mondays and Tuesdays. It's just not enough horse racing. Sure. Uh, most people are at work. And yeah. <laughs> We have weekly ghost tours. Oh, cool! Okay, here. now yeah. you gotta you gotta tell the ghost story because there's always we always in in the Hardy Boys there's always ghosts in ghost quotation marks, ghost. but it's usually like swamp gas or you know a man in a rubber, a suit. Man in a rubber right. suit. So we haven't had too many experiences in this new location. Okay, uh, but we do have quite a few stories from the old spot. Yeah, that, this one we. We're still pretty early, so we're, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the creaks and noises, we're not sure if they're the pipes are actual ghosts yet. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, I always say ghosts are good for business. Right, so, exactly. You know. 18 years of growing up there, you kind of experience some stuff. It was, it was a really old building. And one of the ghosts, what we have been told in the story, uh, we had two locations that were right next door to each other. One side was, I don't know what you call it, it's like a smelting factory for gold. Okay. So people would bring their gold down from the mountains 
then they actually had a track that they would dump it all in by the front door. They'd wheel it back into like this big stove mm-hmm. that they would melt all the, the gold. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, and it was a big warehouse essentially, but at night it was just a big open door that you know people would go in and do whatever they needed to do. Yeah, and there was a there was actually a, a lot of prostitutes in the area. It's, Denver is very famous, especially these two streets. Sure. Market and Blake Street was literally like the brothel streets. Yeah. So there were actually two confirmed, they think three deaths in the building. Okay. Of, of prostitutes that were, sure. that were murdered. So we believe that one of the spirits at least is a disgruntled, disgruntled ghost that is like, why are you I'd be disgruntled. Our, why are you guys partying in my, my death site? You know, yeah. That deal. There's never been any prostitute ghosts, ghosts on the Hardy Boys. No hooker ghosts. Yeah, no, no. I don't think there's been a single prostitute in all 15 books we've read. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like it's it's more tailored towards younger people. Though. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say I was like, you know, it'd be pretty hilarious. It was like yeah. blunt force trauma. To the hooker's head, you know? <laughs> there's a lot of blunt force trauma, though. Well, that that is great. Thank you so much, man. It was really nice talking to you. Yeah. Make sure to listen to part two of the Hardy Boys drink book number 15, The Sinister Signpost, featuring Jose Zuniga. 